Welcome to the Copy Room Chat, the podcast for educators just like you. Do you want to gain quick tips and tools to use in your classroom? This podcast is brought to you by the Practical Teachers and hosted by me, Renee Hirano and Amy Youngren. We are both educators and moms with 20 years of experience in education. Do you want to thrive, not just survive in your classroom? Then join us for a quick chat in the copy room. Hey teachers, welcome back to the copy room. I'm your host, Renee Hirano, along with Amy Youngren. The first thing I want to do is apologize for this raspy voice of mine. A week of teaching, even a short week for me this week. Um, And I find myself having to use the halls, Amy, and um, (laughs) suck on a a mint or something and drink a ton of water. So Just not used to it yet. Not used to it yet. I got to get back my teacher voice. I always say teacher shape. But part of that, I think, is your teacher voice having to talk so much. That's right. Um, Today, Amy and I wanted to chat about the creation, implementation of small groups. And at this point in the year, I know for me, for most of us, we all have an idea of what and for whom in our classroom we want to get some interventions going and for what subject. And so how do we get the time with these students, Amy? How do we? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like such a getting things started feels like such a daunting task. We're already so busy planning our whole group lessons, keeping up with whatever assessments we need to be doing during the day. And and the biggest thing for me was always what the other students will be doing while I'm working with just a few at a time. So I was hoping, Renee, let's see if we can help provide some practical tips today to get the ball rolling in our classroom with small groups. Um, what are some of your best practices when designing small groups, when getting them planned and implemented? What are the things you keep in mind when setting up the classroom structure for this? Let's see if we can talk about that today as well. Yeah. And so I think just to you know keep everyone on the same page, we're really talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, those two big, big chunks of reading and math and having time set aside to meet with small groups. And so you know, meeting with them. And I think the most important thing, and you even mentioned it already, is we, we are starting to get data. We are starting to get maybe, um, you know, computer data, iReady or STAR, but we're also getting some classroom data now. And so the most important thing we're doing when we're setting up small groups and interventions is having data and finding kids that have like needs, mm-hmm. whether that be we need to catch them up or whether that be they already have something and I need to accelerate them. Uh-huh. And so I think, you know, sometimes we think of that intervention as just that remediation, but it's, we also got to think about how we're going to push other students. And so I think right. reading and math, I think some just, you know, I think norm setting would be, you know, no more than five max six kids. I'd love to see groups at four and five, but I also am realistic. I know what class sizes are like. I know how much time you have. You know, sometimes it's not class size. Sometimes it's, I only have, you know, I have a 90 minute block, but I only have, you know, 40 minutes or 45 minutes for interventions. Um, I think one of the most important things you can do for yourself and students is consistently scheduled time. Uh And that, you know, it goes back to like predictability in your classroom, but it also goes to you. Yep. I have this time every day 
I'm going to meet with these groups. Um, and I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there that you really want to meet with all groups. If you can, depending on how much time you have two to three times a week, I, I would say three. Now that means also, I want to put out there that you could have a group that needs a lot of intervention and they are slated to meet every day with you. Totally. That that's happened to me, mm-hmm. you know, depending on your blocks. I've been fortunate in many of my cases where I have a longer reading block and I am able to meet with all four of my groups, all five of my groups a day um, because I have a 90 minute, a 90 minute literacy block. Um, you know, but I also know that I've had like a 65 minute meet, math block. And so I just think we have to, we have to make the time. The time's not going to necessarily appear in our schedule, but we have to carve out our time because we know that small group intervention is where we're going to make that impact. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. That makes sense. Well, and then planning for these groups so that once you figure out when and when and and what um, consistency you're going to have, how, how are we going to plan them? So we know that these small groups are skill-based and the most common way I always think about it is in terms of reteaching the skill of the day. So I've had my whole group lesson either the day before or that day. Mm-hmm. And then I'm taking a small group of students and reteaching some or part, uh, some or all of the whole group lesson and reteaching that skill in either a duplicate, duplicating my lesson again or a different way to get at some um, different part of the skill that they need. Um, there's also what we also think about is remediating, <clears throat> teaching an entirely different skill. So I may have groups that are on an entirely different level, um, maybe way behind, maybe way ahead. And so I'm teaching an entirely different skill than what I did in the whole group. Mm. I also think about one of my favorite parts was um, these guided reading groups and guided writing groups and just getting to teach the skill in a small group, get some one-on-one or, you know, even if I have five or six, but getting some time. Um, with the students to really hone in on a new skill with them and get some back and forth with the teacher. It's such a different feeling in the classroom when you can really get that going. Um, Not only does it build relationship, but you have such a more clear picture of their skills, um, strengths and weaknesses. And as you go through the year, just continues to build that academic relationship with the students so you can really make some huge strides with them. And don't you think, um, sorry, yeah. no, go ahead. that's where you like see the, like you get the little wins in that right. spot, right? Even it's a big win sometimes, but I think you're right that that connection and when you do get to meet with those kids one-on-one, you might celebrate a big success, but you also might celebrate that real little one because we've been working so hard on it. So hard. And if right. we're always in, if we're always in the larger group, yep. the student may miss it. You may miss it. Um, those were just some of the best parts of the year. Um, when you can celebrate those wins, you work really hard together and then you see it, you see it shift. And that's one of the coolest parts I think of these small groups. I, those were really the ways I always thought of small groups as reteaching, remediating or teaching a new skill. But recently you shared with me a strategy that you've implemented in your room um, of pre-teaching. And I thought, huh, never thought of intervention as a, as small groups as a pre-teaching strategy, but I thought this was brilliant. So um, tell us how you did that, where you 
taught one of your groups before the whole group lesson. Yeah, it happened. It it's it happened last year. This whole pre-teaching and it really came about um, somewhat from just a needs perspective. In reading, our lowest groups were really struggling when we got to whole group, trying to really understand the story that we were teaching. Okay, and so we, my partner and I, we decided that, and there was another. There's another facet to it. We have limited time, and right. the whole group lesson in any subject can go on and on and on and you can keep diving in and making sure every kid gets it, but we have a limited amount of time. And so we were finding ourselves running over on our whole group lesson and running over on our whole group lesson. And we wanted to put some boundaries on ourselves. And so what we did was we made our group time first and then the prescribed or what we felt like we needed for the whole group lesson at maximum, we set that time limit at about 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, because even, you know, teaching a lesson of a whole group at 35 minutes, that's a long time. Right. And there's lots of things we're doing back and forth. And so, and we wanted to give kids a leg up. And so what we did was in our groups, we met with groups ahead of time in our lowest groups. We would actually preview, read the story, talk about it. So kids were getting a dose of the story before we did it in whole group, because these are students that need it, need it to listen to it beforehand. They needed to talk about it beforehand. And what was amazing, Amy, is when they came to whole group, they felt so much more empowered to ask questions. I was just gonna say they were feeling so awesome. Yeah. They were, they were feeling so awesome. Even just having knowledge about what's like, um, what we're talking about, even if it was to preach, it's like pre-teaching vocabulary. Why do we pre-teach vocabulary before they read, right? And the whole right. story is not a gotcha. Like, right. you, know, the, you know, one of the things we ran into was about prediction, right? But there were, there were enough other students that hadn't read it yet that we could work through prediction. And these are also students that don't necessarily, weren't always looking at those clues. And so we could say, look at the picture. What do you think? Right. Or we could say, I hear this word. I know it means this. What does it mean? And so it was extremely successful for both of the reasons that I mentioned. The kids, the, my, my lowest students that were really struggling felt so empowered by having already knowing something about it that I think they felt a little more even. And it really helped um, my teaching partner and I to really stick to our yeah, stick Yeah, the timing, timing of it. You know, no matter what you're teaching, just longer is not always, it's not going to sink in more, Right. Right. I always say kids need marination time, right? <laughs> kids need time to like marinate things. And so um, the hard stop for us, yeah. super helpful. I was, my sister-in-law is a teacher and I was just going through this with her and I can't wait to hear like how it's going for her. Um, I will say that in math, I've used a lot of that for small group after whole group teaching, but I have also done guided math groups where I taught the math lesson to each, um, to each group. Honestly, I've done it kind of both ways. The thing I love about small groups is that what you said, I get to know the kids, right? I get to see the small, I get to see the small finishes, but I also get to really hone in on what is the part that they're missing and fill in a hole, right? We can think of what kids could be missing or what kids already have. We can think of all of that, but if we really 
are intentional, if we really look at what do they need, what is this, what if we, if we do a root cause, like why, why, if yeah, we get down why? to the why, oh, we're still missing blends and phonics, got it. Oh, students are not understanding place value. If I can drill that down in a small group, in a safe setting where I can really talk with you, then you're going to feel more successful in all the places. And I'm going to feel more successful as a teacher. So, right. That's a good point. And, and just in terms of their confidence, that's such a big win too. They come to the whole group feeling um, like the two of you have um, an understanding of where they are. And that's, that's a huge win. Yeah. So I think the, the big question is, Amy, we love the small groups. We're <laughs> in those small groups. Yeah. We need it quiet. So we're teaching those small groups. So Amy, what is everyone else doing? Yeah, that's always, that was always my biggest kind of uh, fear is a big word, but fear. What is everyone else doing? How am I going to manage the, just the management of my classroom during that um, so that I can be focused and intentional with those small groups, but I have the rest of my class doing something that is purposeful, not just... Um, killing time. So I think that's kind of where we need to start here is making those intentional, purposeful workstations for the rest of the classroom. So, you know, I always think of centers or independent workstations, and it does require some pre-planning at the beginning. If you do a lot of that now, um, then you'll have some systems in place that you can reuse day to day in these stations. Um, so whether it's a computer center some small group activities for um, the different groups that aren't with you. Individual quiet activities, not a bad thing for them to learn to work independently for a little bit mm -hmm. and, and get really good at that. But we all need to have quiet, independent activities so that you can really focus in on those groups. I remember it would be, you know, I, I can remember days where it didn't go so well. And then I feel like, gosh, I had all that time with these small groups and I didn't get as much done because I was focused on the management of the other independent workstations. So I think the first thing here, we need to plan all of those different centers or workstations, whatever you're going to call them. And then practice, practice, practice goes back to our earlier podcast mm -hmm. about routines and those procedures. So you know, maybe you make smaller time frames so that people can, so that your classroom can just practice the routine. Maybe you're not in a full small group for the entire time that you normally would be, but so everybody can practice transitioning. What am I going to be doing when my teacher is busy with her, her small group? And then how am I going to hold, how are the students going to hold themselves accountable or how am I going to hold the students accountable for what they're doing? Yeah. Um, what kind of system are you going to use? And I've heard so many different systems, and I think we want to keep it simple and keep it quick. Um, but it's important that we have some sort of system to keep people accountable in our in our rooms. Yeah, and I think you know I think that accountable is such a it's not tricky, but it's just really yeah. about it's just about making sure you maintain your your goal, which is meeting with those small groups, right? So you don't want to make any system that is cumbersome and laborsome for you or right. the kids, right? Good point. And so yeah. I think I think you're totally right. I think kids do need to be held accountable. But how do you make it manageable? How does it, is it once a week? Is it, you know, we do have a lot of digital things now. So is it 
them submitting and seesaw something right you can just see it and you're not overloaded with paper and so but I right. do think you need one I think I think it teaches kids also a really valuable skill how to time manage how to get their things done one thing I was thinking about Amy as you were talking was mm-hmm. you know traditionally we think of stations as kids rotate right but right in this, in this time I found and I've always found honestly for math I've always found that my kids didn't rotate for math I could rotate their stations because it was usually items packets you know, things that they were doing. Oh, and, so keep them, keep them, they stay put. And yeah. Like, and oh, I think, I and I think that in reading, I always had them move because we weren't one-to-one or we didn't have whatever. And so I think that's really changed for me where now what happens is I have a table of materials and, you know, I put a visual on the board of like what rotation you're in. And if you need your computer, you have your computer at your desk. Or if you need your writer's notebook, you have that. Or if you need, your team needs a um, a math game or something that you're doing, mm-hmm. then you're responsible to bring it back to that table. But we don't, um, we're not always moving. Got it. Now, if you're in a classroom that's always moving, and this is always my rule of thumb when I start, the first week of groups, I have the kids doing groups and I'm monitoring, praising, um, reviewing expectations and getting through that week okay. with their trying all the activities and there I'm monitoring them and I'm just making sure that it goes really well so that when I start out, I can be in my group. I have a teacher friend who has this most ingenious thing that you might think is very kiddish, but I think works amazingly. And I've done mm-hmm. it up to fourth grade. She wears a pair of ears on her head And so when she has the ears on, it's a signal that she's with this group and she can't be interrupted unless it's an emergency. Love it. And I think it's just a good visual reminder for kids because kids, honestly, most of the time are interrupting you to ask you how to do something they need to do. Right. And so it's not like they're just messing around, right? They really honestly need help. And so the three before me, which I know is is an old adage, right? Like ask a friend, ask another friend, right? That kind of thing. I think also checking in, ahead of time and making sure kids understand what mm-hmm. they need to be doing. You know, I, like I said, I have a, a slide up on my, on my board that has the rotations that has a timer on it. So kids can see it okay. because, you know, and I have a time, then I have a timer at my group that I'm looking at, right. That I'm right. looking at, that I'm using. And so I think all of those things will help you be successful. You know, you talked about computer. There's some great things. Um, you could be doing your iReady math lessons. You could be doing Epic, you know, just yeah. use what you have, right? Use the, pull from your digital reading curriculum, pull from your digital math curriculum. We have digital curriculums now that right. provide us a lot of stuff that we might not have had before in our classrooms. Um, you know, not saying it's, I'm glad we, we have all these, we need all the digital, right? right? But we do have a lot of digital that we can pull from where we don't have to be making all those things. Sure. And we can share with our neighbor teachers um, yeah, you know, a repeated activity that they've used all week, but your students have never seen it. And um, I, I really like those management ideas because that was always the trickiest part for me. Um, and I love the ears, any sort of visual signal so that you're not saying, because um, I'd find myself saying a lot, well, I can't be interrupted now. Well, I just let them interrupt me because I had to say it. So I love the ears. Um, it's a great idea. Yeah. So I think, Amy, for us, like our tip is like, just rip off that band-aid. Yeah. We know it's hard. You know it's hard. 
but you also know the successes that you've had from it. So make a plan, get started, be flexible, and just adjust as you go, right? Those groups are going to change. You're going to get new data. You're going to do these groups for different reasons, but carve out that time and just jump in. Start with one, start with two, build to four, right? Build to all the groups, but we know you can do it. We know you can do it and we know the reward that it'll give you. Um, We want to say thanks again for joining us and we'll chat again soon. Thanks again for joining us here at Copy Room Chat. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and click the button so you don't miss any of the chat. And remember, head over to www.thepracticalteachers.com for more resources and to sign up for our monthly newsletter.